good to have you with us here tonight and to those who are watching online as well. We trust the Lord will bless the word that he's given for this evening. So Psalm 30, I'll read all of the psalm together, including the heading of the psalm. The word of the Lord says, a psalm and song at the dedication of the house of David. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and has not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment, and in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in that my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O O Lord, my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. Amen. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let's unite together in prayer and pray along with me, for me. Not pray for yourself, but the Lord will have a word and apply it to your soul even tonight. So let's unite in prayer. Our gracious God and eternal Father, we thank you, Lord, for a throne of heavenly grace. We thank you for an open heaven. Rejoice in the one who is the mediator, the one who brings us nigh unto thee of ourselves. O God, we comprehend thy holiness. And we consider our own unworthiness. And Lord, we thank thee that there's one who interposes, who stands between. We thank thee, Lord, for precious blood that cleanses us from sin. For a righteousness imputed, received by faith alone, by which we can stand in thy holy presence. We thank thee, Lord, we come to thee, living God. We pray that thou would speak tonight. That thou would bless us, Lord, as we gather around thy word and thy truth. And I pray, O God, that thou will wash me. In the precious blood, need that fresh cleansing from daily defilement. And I pray, O God, that thou would forgive me of my sin. Lord, being clean, I pray that you would fill me with the Spirit. I pray, O God, that this vessel would know what it is to be filled with the Holy Ghost, that you would speak through me, and that thou would minister unto your people, whether here, Lord, or watching online. We pray the word will be a blessing to them. But Lord, thou who knowest their hearts and know the burdens that they carry, the things upon their minds and the questions that they have. Oh God, we pray that this will be a word in season to them. Lord, that you would bless your people and even, Lord, comfort them. Lord, hear our prayer and, Lord, shut out the distractions and shut us in with thyself and do us good for all these things, I pray, in the Savior's precious and his worthy name. Amen. Now, the Psalms are the Holy Ghost-inspired hymn book of the Bible, and they themselves have also moved others to pen their own songs. The last words that we find there in verse 5, 
led to the writing of this song, Hold On My Child, Joy Comes in the Morning, Weeping Only Lasts for a Night. Hold on, my child, joy comes in the morning. The darkest hour means dawn is just in sight. Now, I'm sure that you will all agree that life, it is not easy. It's well described in the Bible as a conflict and battle. The troubles, the trials, the doubts, the challenges, the burdens and the fears, they seek to overwhelm us and to swallow us up. The old adversary, he is doing his best in these days at trying to wear out and to wear down the saints of God. Someone has once said that if it were not for bad news, well then there would be no news at all. These are days when outwardly and around us, there's little to cheer the heart, there's little to lift the soul. And it may be, child of God, you're just about holding on. The dark night of adversity, the trial of your faith, a despondency, a gloom has maybe descended over your soul. You feel like maybe giving up or turning aside, but you don't even know how to do that because the Lord is your all in all. And where else can you go for by your own experience and by the witness of the Spirit, you know that unto him belongs the words of eternal life. And so there is nowhere and there is nowhere else to turn to. And you just feel like you're holding on in the midst of darkness and despair and gloom and despondency. Well, David, he felt like this many times in his life, the mighty warrior, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the unifying king, the giant slayer, the one who was a man after God's own heart. And yet so often we find him in the depths of the darkness of despondency and depression. And that is why the Psalms, they are so beneficial to us. It's why they resonate so much with our own hearts. It's why we can identify with them so readily because it seems to me that as we read them, they are, the, in fact, the outpourings of our own soul in the midst of our own experiences. Now, this is a tremendous little psalm that we have before us tonight. We have the standout verse there in verse 5. For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. I've entitled my message for this evening, Joy Comes in the Morning. Now, before we get to my points, I want to set up the psalm. The psalms, they obviously, they fall into various genres. Psalm 30, it is a psalm of thanksgiving. However, it's closely connected and tied to David's lament, the sorrow that he experienced while under God's chastisement. Now, we see from the superscription here, the title of the psalm, that is a psalm and a song at the dedication of the house of David. Now, there are several suggestions as to what this refers to. Some say it refers to when David first completed his own palace. They point out that David saw the completion of that palace as a token of God's promise to establish him and his house as king of Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verses 11 and 12, we read these words, And Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, 
and cedar trees and carpenters and masons. And he built David an house. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. And certainly there's much in this psalm, Psalm 30, that, that fits that theory. Well, David, for many years, he had spent his life fleeing from Saul in the wilderness. And at that time, he was like a man who was hunted. He was often one described as being on the very brink of death. And even after Saul's death, there was seven years of civil war and civil infighting in the, the nation of Israel. But when David was brought to the throne and the kingdom was united, well, truly, that would have been a time when his mourning, his sadness, his darkness would have been turned into dancing. So that's one opinion of the setting of the psalm. A second and similar opinion is that the psalm was written at a time when David's house was rededicated after the rebellion of Absalom. And this is also quite plausible from the internal evidence of the psalm. David again was on the brink of death and ruin when Absalom rose up against his own father. And at the beginning, that uprising was so successful, David, he had to flee the palace. He had to uh, escape from his son because of his uh, murderous and treasonous intent. Well, David... He was restored to his rightful place. He was again restored to the throne. And David's mourning was turned into joy. And some thinks, think, well, this psalm fits better of that time because it allows for that season of prosperity that's mentioned in verse 6. So that's the second opinion of when this psalm was written. The third option, well, that's a little different. I would tend to fall into this category. And this psalm is not about David's own house but about the house of the Lord that David desired to build the temple. And you recall how God did not allow David to build the temple because he was a man of war. And God had promised that he would not establish his house in the land until he had given peace uh, from all the enemies round about his people. God wanted Solomon, David's son, to build the temple because Solomon's reign was marked by peace. Nevertheless, in the Bible we read that God allowed David to make great preparation by the Spirit. God gave David the plans for the temple and for all its services, and as I said, to gather many materials for the construction of it. And once again, as we examine this psalm and the internal evidence, well, it very much fits with that time where David was shown the spot on which the temple was to be built. And we find that in 2 Samuel 24. You see, at that time, David, he arrogantly, he presumptuously, and in his pride, he numbered the children of Israel, or the men of war. And God had brought a plague against the nation as a result. This would correspond, many believe, to the, the boasting that David had in verse 6. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. He looked at his vast army. He looked at all the military might that he had. He, he numbered the people and he thought, well, I've made it now. I'm not going to be moved. But God sent the plague. But the plague was stayed at the threshing floor. And when David saw that, and that spot where mercy was extended to the nation of Israel, well, David, he built an altar. He offered sacrifices and it was given divine 
approval, that place, by fire coming down from heaven. And that became the location for the temple, the house of God, the place where God's name was to be known. And that was surely a time when David's sackcloth was replaced with gladness. And it's thought that subsequent to that, that David wrote this psalm in order that it might be sung when Solomon would build the temple and be dedicated unto the Lord. So those are the three major suggestions of the circumstances behind the writing of this psalm. Now we can divide the psalm and the thoughts of the psalm under three headings, and they're going to constitute our points for this evening. And we're not going to look at them in order, the order in which they appear in the text, because, well, David, he really begins at the end. But the points we want to think about tonight are David's reflection, David's response, and David's rejoicing. So we're thinking about joy, joy cometh in the morning. Thinking about David's reflection, David's response, and David's rejoicing. So firstly, notice with me this evening David's reflection. David takes time, and in the psalm, he makes reflection in verse 6. I've already mentioned it. He says, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. He looks back to a time which preceded his night of trouble and weeping. And there's a suggestion in his own words that here is a reason why he was brought into such gloom. This prosperity which he mentioned, well, it can be taken in two ways, as suggested by the commentator John Gill. Either it was outward prosperity, when he was settled in his kingdom and as acknowledged king by all the tribes of Israel, and he had gotten victory over all the enemies and was at rest from them round about. Either that outward prosperity, materially, military in a military sense, or else it can mean an, a spiritual or an internal or an inward prosperity. Here was a man, and he was having a great appetite for the word. Maybe the pen was flowing as he was writing psalms. He was, uh, as he, uh, he was getting fresh views of Christ, and he was having fresh experiences of grace and mercy. The inward corruptions were being subdued and the inner man was being renewed with spiritual strength. He was becoming more fruitful. He was abounding in the things of God. And so the suggestion is, well, it's either outward prosperity or it's either inward spiritual prosperity that this man had. But either way, everything seemed to be going well for this man. Now, tomorrow would be as today, if not better. He was secure in his kingdom. He was secure in his walk with God. And he came to the point that it seemed to be that the blessedness, that confidence, and that assurance that he had could not be taken from him. It could not be shaken. And he said in his heart, I shall never be moved. Maybe without realizing at that time. But now in reflection, he he saw himself there as one who had become proud, overconfident, self-reliant, self-sufficient. He forgot his dependence upon his God. And he was just sailing through life, going through the motions. I shall never be moved. I'm going on well here. No doubts, 
no lack of confidence or assurance, military might, all the finances I could ever want. And then he said in his own soul, I shall never be moved. See, he became unwatchable. It happened in the case of Bathsheba. He was at ease. He dropped his guard and what a night of weeping that brought to his soul. The same can be said in 2 Samuel, that account, 2 Samuel 24, when he numbered the people, he dropped his guard. He, he left off being watchful, became self-confident. No command from the Lord to number the people. It was an expression of his reliance upon the strength of his fighting army. As Proverbs tells us, pride precedes destruction. It comes before it and a haughty spirit. It comes before a fall. And David reflects upon this. And he reveals that all it took was a change in the providence of God. And his boastful claim, I shall never be moved, was found wanting. In verse 7, he reflects upon God. And this is what he says. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. He thinks back to that time in his life. Oh, he thinks back to the time when he was self-reliant, self-confident, things going well. Took his eyes off the Lord, became unwatchful. And then the night of weeping came into his life. And then it was then, when the darkness descended, he reflected and he said that thou didst hide thy face and I was troubled. The dark clouds of providence, the withdrawal of the sweetness of God's communion, it brought a trembling into the soul of this man who said he would never be moved. He was a man who was grounded, who was established. And yet he was shook in his faith. Hebrew word for troubled is a thought here of being alarmed, terrified, disturbed, anxious, afraid, agitated, all these things within the soul of this man. And he was shown just really in a moment of time the change of providence, how insecure and uncertain either the outward or inward prosperity was upon which he was relying. To hide the face is synonymous in Scripture with the withdrawing of favor or displeasure. And by the hiding of the light of God's countenance, the darkness was brought into this man's soul. Now, it would appear that it was a rod of chastisement that caused David to weep in the night. See, David reflects upon the impact that the chastisement of the Lord had upon him left him at the very brink of death, either by the hands of his enemies or by some illness in his life. He says that in verse 3. He's reflecting back. He says, O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. In verse 2, he speaks about a healing. In verse 1, he speaks about his enemies not trying, triumphing over him. He reflects upon the impact of the rod of chastisement upon him, of his own night of weeping. Again, you think of David's account of his own experience after he sinned with Bathsheba. 
Psalm 32 and the verses 3 and 4. What did he say there? He said, when I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. He was brought to the dark depths to be taught by the Lord. The Westminster Confession of Faith. Chapter 5 of Divine Providence, paragraph 5, it says this. The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruptions of their own hearts to chastise them for their former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled. It doesn't end there. Here's the reason why the Lord permits the night of gloom to come upon his children to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon him. And to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for sundry other just and holy ends. You know, there's other reasons why you and I might find ourselves weeping in the night. It's not always the result of God's chastisement for sin for our instruction. Bereavement. Bereavement causes, as it were, the sun of joy to set and bring the night of weeping upon the soul. So too can a physical ailment or an illness or some uh, sickness, lack of assurance, doubts of salvation, the roar of the accuser, mental pressure, the strain, the stress of, of modern life, these are all night seasons that come upon the child of God. The nights of weeping. But they're only for a moment. And that's the great antithesis that's set before us in verse 5. They are but for a moment. God's anger is chastening hand when it's upon us. Or when providence seems to be against us. It's only for a moment. But his favor is forever. In Isaiah 54, in the verse 8, he tells us, In a little wrath, I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. You know, we also notice in verse 5 that weeping may endure for a night. You see, it's only a possibility. It's not certain. It's not a given that particular trials and tests will come upon us. For some in God's mercy are withheld from us. Some maybe don't have to go through a valley of sickness or a night of sickness or a night of stress or whatever it might be. But there is a certainty that joy will come in the morning. It will be our portion in the eternal morn when the dark shadows of this world flee away. It is a possibility that we might not go through certain nights of weeping, but it is a certainty that our portion will be to have joy in the eternal morn. You see, sorrow and weeping will come to lodge with us for a night season. 
but joy and gladness will abide with us forever in the land where there is no night, for the Lamb is the light thereof. Child of God, it may be that you are going through your own night of weeping, and you feel that the darkness is about to envelop. The smile of the light of God's countenance is hidden from view by a frowning providence. And you wonder, will the morning ever come? Will the darkness that's over my soul, will it ever lift? Will that a period of gladness, a respite, a season of refreshing, a little reviving, will it ever come? Well, I say to you, child of God, hold on. Hold on to the Lord and trust in Him. Hold on. It's darkest before the dawn. We read in Isaiah 50 in the verse 10, wonderful, wonderful words. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of His servant? There's someone walking in obedience. They're not living out in open rebellious sin. They're trying to fulfill the Word of God, keep His commands, live in a manner that pleases Him. But it says, that obeyeth the voice of a servant that walketh in darkness and hath no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his way. And that brings me to my second point this evening. Because we see not only David's reflection, he's thinking back to the time prior to his night of weeping. He's thinking about the circumstances that brought it into it, overconfidence, the rod of God's chastisement. He's thinking about the effect that it had upon him. It brought him to the very point of death. But then we have his response. What did David do when the darkness descended? Well, we're told in this chapter what he did. And it's good instruction for us to follow. He did not simply exercise some passive trust where he did nothing. Now, I know at times we can do that, and we should do that at all times. There is to be the passive trust. God is sovereign. This is his will. But David didn't just do that. No, his faith moved him to do something. In the midst of his darkness and his night of weeping, and what was that? Well, you know the answer, prayer. He prayed. He cried out to God. Verse 8, that's what he tells us. When the Lord hid his face and he was troubled, verse 8, immediately he says, I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. Here was a man who not only believed in prayer, but he believed in the God to whom he prayed. Big difference. Because people believe in prayer. But they're not praying to the right God. But here's a man, he believed in the God to whom he prayed. He believed in a God who could effect a change, who could cause the morning to break and the darkness to flee away. He did not let his feelings, because don't forget he was weeping in the night. He didn't let his feelings dictate his response, but his faith. He cried to God. It wasn't simply a cry, which was a lament or a moan about the situation in which he found himself, 
but a cry in which he tells us here that he made supplication. He petitioned his God. See, the dark night season drove him to his God, not away from his God. He did not turn his back on God, though God's face was turned from him. And that's the response of a true believer in the night of weeping. Spurgeon, he made this comment in the treasury of David. Prayer is the unfailing resource of God's people. If they are driven to their wit's end, is that you tonight? If you're driven to your wit's end, you may still go to the mercy seat. The mercy seat is right there at wit's end corner. He goes on to say, when an earthquake makes your mountain tremble, your family was going on well, the business was going well, your own spiritual walk was going well, and suddenly the old devils come and he shook your confidence. Spurgeon said, when an earthquake makes our mountain tremble, the throne of grace still stands firm. And we can still come to him. You see the intensity of David's prayer. He said he cried unto the Lord. A shout, a cry, intensity in his praying here. Yes, he was weeping in the night, but I would also suggest that here was a man who was weeping in his prayer. You know, these are prayers that God takes special note of. Because every tear that's shed, he gathers it up in his fire. David prayed. He reasoned with God and brought holy arguments before him in prayer. And that's what we have in verse 9. He's wrestling with God. He's bringing holy arguments. He's pleading his cause. He says to God, what profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? You see, David with confidence could say, and he knew that God who knew his heart, David's heart, David's life was one which was to praise God, to declare his truth. David was a man who lived for the glory of God. And his argument was he could better save God or serve God by his life than by his death. But it was the glory of God that was the focal point of his prayer, that God would be glorified. Matthew Henry said this, the best pleas in prayer are those that are taken from God's honor. Then we ask aright when we have that in view. And that's what David was praying. He lived for the glory of God. He lived to declare God's truth and to show forth God's praise. And therefore he brought this holy argument. God, what profit is there in my death? Shall the dust praise thee? David goes on in verse 10 to pray. Hear, O God, and have mercy upon me. He appealed here to the mercy of God, to the loving kindness of his God. And isn't that what he did in Psalm 51? That great penitent psalm. Verse 1, 
Did he not say, what was the opening basis of his, his whole plea, his whole prayer there? Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. He appealed to the mercy of God. Yes, he was in misery, but that made him a fit candidate for the mercy of God to be bestowed upon him. And he knew that his God was merciful. There's our grounds of pleading, brethren and sisters. The mercy of God. And how is God merciful to us? Well, you know, it's by Christ. For wrath was poured out upon his son. Therefore withheld from us is what we justly deserve. And so David he appealed to the mercy of God. He couldn't help himself. He did not seek the help of fellow man because that was vain. But he asked the Lord to be his helper. That's wonderful. Verse 10, Lord, be thou my help. Oh, what a wonderful, concise, fitting prayer for many of the cases of the children of God. Be thou my helper. Help me, Lord. Be help me. I'm in a night of darkness. And I don't know when the light is going to break. Help me, God. Help me. And that's exactly what our God is. He's a very present help in a time of trouble. He also asked the Lord not only to be his helper, but to be his healer. Look at verse 2. It's spoken in retrospect. He says, O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. You see, David trusted in the Lord who had the ability to heal. He knew him as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth thee. From that account there at the, the bitter waters at Marah. David knew all that, and so he exercised his trust. He called upon the Lord to heal him. We live in a day of great medical advancement, both in terms of technology and medication. But we're not to think that in biblical days there was no available treatment for bodily ailments. For instance, we could think of the lump of figs that Isaiah told Hezekiah to put upon his sword. Or we could think about the ban that was in Gilead, the special gum that came from certain trees. But those things were secondary means in the hands of a sovereign God David knew that. I don't think David would have been negligent of means if they were at his hand to deliver his life. That's not uh, taking care of your own life, fulfilling the command of God. But David, he knew that healing rested with the Lord. I cried, as he says in verse 2, unto thee and thou hast healed me. He attributed the healing to the Lord. Maybe in a night of darkness, a night of weeping because of some illness, some affliction has come upon you. Does that mean you don't go for your appointments? Does that mean you don't take your medication? Does that mean you don't go for your operations? Of course it doesn't. When it's the Lord who brings the healing. David responded by praying. And so should we. When the night of weeping comes. Finally tonight. Briefly notice David's rejoicing. David's reflecting. And uh, David's responding. We could 
put the INGs to keep it all flowing. And David's rejoicing. And this we see at the start and the end of this psalm. That's why I said we couldn't take it in order. Look at verse 1. He says, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up. This, that is personal praise for mercies received. Brethren and sisters, what a lifting up God has done for us. He's lifted us up out of our sin. And the pit of our corruption. But you know, many a time he's lifted us up in life. And we thought we couldn't go on. And we were lying in a proverbial heap, as it were. And we thought, how on earth am I going to go on? But the Lord has many times lifted us up, dusted us down, patted us on the back with a promise from his word or from a message from one of his servants, and he's lifted us up. David said, I will extol thee. I will lift up thy name because thou hast lifted me up. What a wonderful image we have there. And then in verse 4, he goes on to say, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. That's communal praise. There's personal praise and there's communal praise. He wanted God's people to, to join with him in praising the Lord for what he had done. You see, David's prayers were heard. God intervened in a situation, verse 11. And that's what he says there. Thou, he's attributing it to God. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. It is the Lord who gives beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It's the Lord who made the difference. And David would ascribe praise to God because of this. Verse 12, to the end that my glory, some suggest that would be his, his tongue, his, his faculties that God had given to him. He says there, to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. God has brought us through many a dark night. I said he's lifted us up from many a low place. Let's be like David tonight and let's not be silent to give thanks unto the Lord. A thankful person will be a worshipping person. Luke 17, when the leper realized he was healed, he came back, he turned back, and with a loud voice he glorified God and fell down at his on his face at his feet, giving thanks. David rejoiced that the dawn of God's countenance once again had broken and had risen upon his people. We have a great high priest who himself passed through his own dark night of weeping. But in the words of the song, then came the morning. Night turned to day. The stone was rolled away. Hope rose with the dawn. Then came the morning. Shadows vanished before the sun. Death had lost and life had won. For morning had come. 
Brethren and sisters, a night of weeping, how long we'll have here in this dark world. It causes many tears to fall, I don't know, but the Bible tells me it's for a moment. But everlasting joy is ours forever. And the eternal morn will break and the sun of righteousness comes again. That's our portion. For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy cometh in the morning. That's our eternal hope. That's what lies before us. Hold on. As the song said, I put it at the start, hold on, child of God. The darkest hour means God is just in sight. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. We'll have a brief word of prayer, sing a few verses of a hymn, and then the Reverend Greer will come and make some announcements. Let's just pray. Eternal God, loving Father, so many in our congregation that we know of, and many, Lord, we maybe don't know of, and they're in a night of weeping. Lord, whatever has brought them there, we do not stand in judgment. Lord, their hearts are heavy. Lord, I pray that they will do and respond as David did, that they would cry unto thee, the one, O oh God, who can cause the dawn to break, who can bring us a little respite, a little revival, a little refreshing, a little, oh God, joy in the midst of our bondage. Oh God, we cry to thee that thou would have mercy upon us, that thou would take our sackcloth as we mourn over the state of our land and the state of the church and the state of our own hearts. Oh God, that thou would turn our mourning into dancing, that thou would exchange our sackcloth for the garments of praise, that thy people may rejoice in thee. We thank thee for the eternal day, and then the shadows will flee away. Bless the word, comfort hearts. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.